Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. I'm going to run solo with some news this morning, and then after the break, we're going to uh, add another installment to our mini-series, Mistakes Were Made. And we're going to have Michelle Blakely on with us. Um, all of us just got done recording one of our uh, videos, taste test videos, on uh, Bang Peanut Butter Coffee. Um, it's a Chocolate Peanut Butter Blast. So we just had her stick around, um, and gratitude to her for doing that. And again, we're just talking about some of the bonehead moves we've made or we've seen clients make when it comes to cardio and how we've grown and changed over the years. Uh, toward that end, I have some news specific uh, nutrient-wise and food-wise um, to coffee, to ketogenic diets, and to protein because that uh, energy drink we just tried had 20 grams of protein. So this will be a nice little companion audio to the video that you can check out on YouTube. You just do a YouTube search for Iron Radio, and you should be able to find it. But let's get uh, started here looking at some of the science news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. I've got a couple of papers here on coffee and tea consumption, um, both from uh, Britain, it looks like. So you UK listeners... Um, might like some of these habitual coffee and tea consumption and cardiometabolic biomarkers in the UK biobank, the role of beverage type and genetic variation. So they talk about how the mechanisms that link habitual consumption of coffee and tea with things like diabetes and carbohydrate handling, uh, remain unclear. They basically took dietary genetic and biomarker data from the UK Biobank to investigate the role of different varieties of coffee and tea as far as cardiometabolic health. Uh, Almost half a million participants provided blood samples, uh, completed questionnaires on things like sociodemographic factors, their medical history, uh, diet and lifestyle, and then they did some multivariate linear regression to see where these relationships lay. It says results here, compared with coffee non-consumers, each additional cup of coffee was significantly associated with higher total cholesterol, higher HDL cholesterol, and higher LDL cholesterol, but lower triglycerides and C-reactive protein. And many of you know that's an inflammatory marker. So it looks like it's raising your cholesterol good and bad, just total across the board a bit, but lowering triglycerides, and inflammation. So helpful in some ways, not helpful in others. Uh, Higher consumption of espresso specifically, so more than two cups a day, equal to or greater than two cups compared to none, was associated with higher LDL cholesterol in men and women. And here, this caught my eye, whereas no substantial association was observed for instant coffee. So espresso looking kind of bad. That makes me a little sad. I like my Americano. But I also use instant coffee in my own research, and it doesn't seem to have some of these uh, lipid 
you know, deleterious effects. Higher T consumption then was associated with lower total cholesterol and lower LDL and higher HDL. So win, win, win when it comes to blood lipids and, and tea. So they conclude that in the UK biobank, consumption of certain coffee brews such as espresso had unfavorable associations with blood lipids, whereas consumption of tea had favorable associations. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you um, UK listeners can send me an email. Sometimes I wonder, is there a pro-tea bias in the UK? I mean, I'm not saying these guys are making this up. By the way, this is Cornelis and Van Dam, Journal of Nutrition. It's brand new stuff. Uh, I am curious, and again, I don't have the full paper in front of me, but I am a little bit curious about what they defined coffee as. You know, in these big biobanks, there could be a wide variety of brands and types. I do like how they teased apart the instant, though. So some interesting, um, you know, drilling down as far as coffee and tea and how they might affect your health. I suppose the practical tip here that I'm taking from this for myself is I'm going to keep drinking my coffee. I do drink occasional Via from uh, instant coffee from Starbucks. So I'll probably keep doing that. It, it seems to be sort of neutral as far as its uh, effects. So there you have that one. And then we have another one here. This is through Science Daily. I got this from a colleague at work. It's from the University of Bath. This appeared in... Let's see, British Journal of Nutrition, brand new. Drink coffee after breakfast, not before, for better metabolic control. The, the top line here says, a strong black coffee to wake you up after a bad night's sleep, and that's key, after a bad night's sleep could impair control of blood sugar levels, according to a new study. So the first thing they do is, uh, point out that one night of poor sleep is going to have a limited impact. Uh, we've talked about this in prior episodes before. Multiple nights, though, bad sleep is going to start messing with carb and fat metabolism and just all sorts of things. But So physiologists at the University of Bath, they asked 29 healthy men and women to undergo three different uh, conditions. Uh, in one, they had a normal night's sleep, and then they had them consume a sugary drink upon waking. On another occasion, they had a disrupted night's sleep followed by a sugary drink upon waking. And that disrupted night's sleep, by the way, the researchers woke them up every hour for five minutes. Oh, that would suck. And then number three, on the, the third condition here, the same sleep disruption followed by the next morning a strong black coffee that was consumed a half an hour before the sugary drink. Now, again, I want some definitions here. I should pull this full paper and dig down. But one thing you should always ask when you hear about coffee studies like this is, how do you define a cup of coffee? Now, that seems obvious, but again, it could be instant. It could be um, pour over, right? It could be espresso or drip brewed or cold brew. Uh, you get the idea. Uh, what kind of filter? Paper filter or like a steel mesh kind of filter? So there's so many things that come into play here. They just say strong black coffee. It says strong black coffee consumed before breakfast, again, after that disrupted night's sleep, increased their blood glucose responses to the breakfast by around 50%. Now, I'm going to be honest, that sounds very dramatic to me. 50%? Um, Again, especially compared to like the non-coffee disrupted sleep. Uh, anyway, and then they point to caffeine as the potential cause of the insulin resistance. Now, I'm going to be a little critical here. I think we, we kind of have a handle on that. Uh, caffeine, and this is one of the things I look at in my own research, we do decaf and regular caffeinated coffee because caffeine is going to raise epinephrine, right, adrenaline levels, and it's sort of a fight or flight kind of stimulus. And, you know, adrenaline is a counter-regulatory hormone. It's going to sort of oppose insulin's disposal of your blood sugar. So I, I'm not that surprised by this. But a quote from Professor James uh, Betts says, put simply, our blood sugar control is impaired when the first thing our bodies come into contact with is coffee, especially after a night of disrupted sleep. We might improve this by eating first and then drinking coffee later. 
if we still feel we need it. Now, the practical application is, of course, stickier. When you wake up first thing in the morning, I reach for a cup of coffee. Um, I, I'm not going to eat breakfast and then maybe have coffee later, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I suppose a breakfast might wake you up a little. The head author on this was Harry Smith, and the title of the actual scientific article is Glucose Control Upon Waking is Unaffected by Hourly Sleep Fragmentation During the Night but is Impaired by Morning Caffeinated Coffee. So that sort of combination seems to be uh, what's pretty rough. Of course, population specificity is going to matter there as well. I'm looking at healthy, exercising, physically active uh, college students, essentially, who tend to use coffee as a pre-workout and as well as waking up in the morning. Um, but of course, th- the my population that I study is going to have better glucose control, probably. Um, if this is a gen pop study that I just read to you, then they're not going to be as good uh, of carbohydrate handlers, if you will, compared to the, the subjects I look at. Uh, we did not see that the caffeinated coffee was really messing with their carb handling. We did something very similar. We fed them instant or regular coffee a half an hour before um, essentially a 50-gram carbohydrate challenge. And the the caffeinated coffee, although it did raise their epinephrine uh, and whatnot, it didn't, at least in the population I look at, it didn't really hamper their blood sugar control that much. If anything, it looked like maybe early in the carb challenge, the decaf was messing with their their blood sugar a little bit more, uh, if anything. So, And it, also importantly, both coffees we looked at later in this two-hour uh, glucose challenge, if you will, oral glucose tolerance test, there was a more rapid decline in blood sugar. And we were speculating that's because of some of those bioactives, those antioxidants in the coffee. So a little, maybe there's a population specificity issue there, but it's it's not surprising that strong caffeinated coffee, if you get a couple hundred milligrams of caffeine in you, even from coffee, that it might actually mess with your blood sugar uh, a little bit in that immediate uh, meal. But that's enough for the coffee. Let's look at two more here. One is on ketogenic diets from the Journal of Nutrition, and the other is about protein supplementation and appetite, and that's from Advances in Nutrition. So these are some journals associated with with my society, one of my societies, the ASN. So in the first one here, we have a letter to the editor, actually, um, by Shivam Joshi, J-O-S-H-I. And Joshi seems to be counterpointing, right, arguing with some earlier work. The title here is Ketogenic Diets, Risks, and Downfalls. Now, if you're really excited about low-carb and keto, like so many people are in the fitness world for the past you know, half a decade or so, this is, might be sobering. But again, don't try to just pick it apart. Let's just look at what's here, remembering science doesn't always care what you want. It says, the recent article by Ludwig, although thought-provoking, is not a complete representation of the literature regarding carbs and their use for weight loss. Notably, diets full of unrefined carbohydrates are equally healthful if not more so. Um, so again, he's trying to argue for unrefined carbs instead of just no carbs. It says, first, not all meta-analyses have shown that carb restriction is superior to fat restriction. Some have indeed shown the opposite. Furthermore, research suggests that some of the weight loss with low-carb diets is water loss or worse, lean body mass loss. So that's been my concern. Uh, I recently... Penned a chapter for the NSCA on dietary fat, including some trends like ketogenic diets. Uh, And that's a concern of mine, too, looking at the literature. It's not a lot. It's not enough to really tank your performance and that kind of thing. It wouldn't be dramatic. But there is concern in the literature about this. In fact, for decades, we were taught in clinical settings that carbohydrates are protein sparing, uh, muscle sparing. In any case, it says, in some studies, lean body mass loss was actually greater in participants consuming the low-carb diet than those consuming the low-fat diet. So, sort of a concern. Further, weight regain after weight loss 
is a concern in a randomized controlled trial with prolonged follow-up weight regain after an initial loss at six years, so they really tracked these guys for a long time, was greatest with low-carb diets. So the people who lost weight on the low-carb diet regained more than the ones that were on like low-fat diets, let's say. So the low-carb dieters regained 4.1 kilograms in that multi-year follow-up, and the low-fat and Mediterranean diets they compared it to only regained 2.7 and 1.4 kilograms, respectively. So roughly double the regain, it looked like, after some successful restriction. It says, Ludwig then points out the lack of consumption of carbs is a long-standing thing in populations like the Inuits, but then they go on to say that the Inuits have had a higher prevalence of heart disease that's actually comparable to the Western population, and that may, may be due to their high-fat intakes. Uh, in fact, this author, Joshi, argues that evolutionary anthropologists argue for increased consumption of unrefined carbohydrates. So interesting, again, he's making counterpoints against keto diets here, and it's worth looking at this stuff. Even if you love keto and it's working for you, you know, staying balanced is is key. It says, finally, Ludwig asserts that low-carb diets have shown a significantly higher energy expenditure. So, of course, when you diet, you don't want your metabolism to slow down, which it will tend to do. And this is saying higher energy expenditure in the low-carb diets, the keto-like diets, of about 200 to 250 kcal per day. But he points out that that has been challenged by statisticians. There was a little bit of mathematical gymnastics to make it look like that. And when you analyze it differently with different stats, it doesn't look like there's that superior energy expenditure on the low-carb diets. And then he just sort of concludes, optimism in medical science should be grounded and evidence-based and not selective. So again, the counterpoints are appreciated. Uh, again, that's Journal of Nutrition. And some sobering stuff if you're really into keto. This isn't going to necessarily sway me that keto is good or bad, but it's good to look at evidence on both sides. Maybe there are population specificity issues here. There are different you know, genetic variants in the population. Uh, things like that. You know, interestingly, that Bang Keto coffee we just looked at, although low carb, it had six grams of carbohydrate uh, in a can, I believe, only uh, four of those would be digestible carbohydrates because two are fiber. Uh, but it only had two fat, presumably from the MCT that they added, the caprylic acid, the eight carbon fatty acid that they put in there in triglyceride form. But anyway, two grams of fat, so it was lower carb, but it wasn't real high fat like you would think perhaps a lot of keto products might be. Uh, maybe they're trying to keep the calories down. Anyway, we have one more here. This is the impact of protein supplementation on appetite and energy intake in healthy older adults. So this is a, a meta-analysis. This was uh, interesting to me, again, population specificity matters we've got some older folks here that they're looking at but it was a little surprising so what do they have to say here protein supplementation is an attractive strategy to prevent muscle loss in older adults however it could be counterproductive if it suppresses their appetite right because we need to keep them eating eating calories to maintain their weight they searched medline uh the cochrane database and some others up through June of this year for adults that were 60 years old or more. They found 22 studies, nine acute and 13 that were longitudinal studies uh, involving 857 participants, 331 males and 526 females. In the acute studies, appetite ratings were suppressed in seven of the 24 uh, protein arms. So it says, for acute studies reporting energy intake, test meal energy intake was reduced following the protein preload compared with control. Only about by 40 kcal on average. There's a pretty big swing, though. And this is what's not surprising to me. Usually, protein has a very high satiety value. I've seen studies that it's the most filling when you include some protein in your breakfast, etc. cetera. 
Now, it says, however, when energy content of the protein supplement itself is accounted for, the total energy intake was greater when they were given protein. Now, I would caution people to over-conclude here because if you include the protein KCAL, I think we need to remember that protein calories are very unlikely to become body fat, for example. Um, but from purely an energy perspective, okay, we can count that four calories per gram in the protein preload. Uh, anyway, it says in longitudinal studies, uh, 12 of them, they showed that higher protein intake had no impact on daily energy expenditure. Now, so you can look at this in different ways. You might say, oh, protein's not good for dieting then. It doesn't really drive you into a negative energy uh, balance. Or you could say, listen, bro, I'm trying to gain weight. And if I eat protein, it's not going to suppress my appetite so much that I can't eat other foods. I can't eat the fuels, right? Because protein, of course, not a preferred fuel. Carbs and fats would be. So this suggests that maybe like if you're older and you had like, let's say a weight gainer or you had some extra protein, it's not going to put you in a low cal dieting mode, right? It's not going to mess with your energy intake that much. So that could be good, right? Because if you want to gain muscle mass, you're going to need extra protein and calories. And this is saying it's not going to suppress your appetite so much that you won't get those calories. Concluding here, while appetite ratings may be suppressed with acute protein supplementation, Again, that's not the surprising part. There is either a positive effect or no effect on total energy intake in acute and longitudinal studies, respectively. Therefore, protein supplements may represent an effective solution to increase protein intakes in healthy older adults without compromising energy intake through appetite suppression. So again, it's I, I think as a tool, it's how you look at protein acutely. Yes, it looks like it will probably suppress uh, your calorie intake, if you have some protein first, so that could be a, a like life hack, right? Have a little bit of protein. I imagine it makes sense if you have a chicken breast before you go to a buffet, you might end up eating less at that buffet. But it's also, like I said, depending on your goal, it could be very handy to know that that protein intake is not going to totally mess with your desire for more calories, which you'll need for gains. Now, I know a lot of our listeners aren't over 60, and again, population specificity matters, but this is an interesting one that I think does support what what we do as a little bit younger uh, lifters might uh, approach, right, which is get some extra protein and also try to eat some extra calories uh, so you can grow, and the protein's not going to ruin that. So there you have it, a handful of studies uh, from around the web specific to the video that we just did on YouTube, we got coffee, we've got some ketogenic pros and cons, and now we've got some protein pros and cons to help you make some decisions uh, yourself. Okay, so having said that, I have rambled enough. Let's get to the mid-show break, and then we'll come back and have a discussion with Phil and Mike and Michelle Blakely uh, on cardio and some of the mistakes that have been made. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest 
to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test. In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture, similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's Phil and Mike and Lonnie, and Michelle Blakely is going to rejoin us today. We want to revisit or um, make another installment in our little mini-series, Mistakes Were Made, and this time it's going to be about cardio. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of, of course, yes, you can rely on scientific literature and all that, but also personal experience. I mean, there's lots of ways to educate yourself. And so I wanted to touch on a few of the things that maybe we've done wrong in the past when it comes to cardio. And again, a lot of this is going to be goal dependent, of course, but always trying to keep in your mind, you know, some interest in strength and muscle mass and and that kind of thing. But where does cardio fit in? Where have we made some mistakes with that? Um, I just wanted to start in real quickly. One of the things that I used to do was pre-breakfast just walk uphill on a treadmill, you know, the old bodybuilder thing, like direct fat oxidation kind of thing. Uh, strong cup of black coffee, get on the treadmill fasted, and just walk uphill for 45 minutes. That actually works great in combination if, you're, if I'm periodically reducing my carbs, like progressing the carb restriction over 20 weeks. So combined with diet, that works great. But when I've done that in the past by itself, I can't say I really got very lean doing that, right? Like if, if you're just eating your regular diet all the time um, outside of that little window of cardio, you can't expect that much. I mean, exercise by itself, it tends to have more permanent effects, but they're not huge in magnitude, like when you're really cutting calories and carbs and other things, right? So, um, but I will say this, I would still do morning walks and I still do as just an attempt not to put on fat. Like this time of the year, uh, my wife and I just get out and we do like a 30, 40-minute walk every morning before breakfast, not with any intention of getting ripped or something, but, you know, uh, I've just come to realize over the years that you can't rely on that to get lean by yourself. By That was a mistake. Um, unless, again, there's a lot of aggressive dieting going on with it, I think, outside of that window. But I do think it's still handy just... Like in a bulking phase or something, when you don't, you just you want a short period of fat-specific calorie drain, right? It's mm. it's not going to make you lean, but it might prevent sloppy gains. Phil, I know you like walking yeah. too. Is that what you've seen, or? Yeah, and I've just started that up again. I noticed. Well, one thing I noticed, I'm I'm not, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, and my resting heart rate was getting up higher than I wanted it. Like it, mine used to be way low. It got down to like forty-one. Um, at wow. Um, but I was up in the low seventies, so still normalish, but I'm like, eh, man, I'm getting old and that's a little high. So I've started walking. I go to my five thirty AM class, coach that. And then I leave and like Friday I went and walked, hiked 2.6 miles. 
in 45 minutes. Uh, okay. I've just started that, just going and just walking, you know, <laughs> on some trails and hills. And uh, just to, you know, for no other real benefit besides just living longer, you know, yeah. and being a, you know, having the ability to just walk around, you know, and I think that, I, I think it's underrated just walking. Right. So, yeah, agreed. Um, and we don't do enough of it anymore. So I just find myself, I get busy with coaching and stuff. And, you know, in my, I've got a big space, but still, I'm not moving a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just doing that things and going out and, like, this is the time of year where I, I generally get more active in the winter. Oddly enough, a lot of people get more active in the summer. But mm-hmm. around my farm and things, I start chopping wood. I start doing that stuff more. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so. Yeah, useful cardio. Yep. Yeah, I hear you. So, um, Mike, what about you as far as mistakes, personal or what you see your clients doing? Um, yeah, and both of those for clients, I started doing a formal uh, VO2 max test probably a year and a half ago now. And what I find is a lot of people who have issues recovering or energy levels are kind of low. Their VO2 max is usually quite low. Not all the time, but a lot of time it is. You can do that by doing a 12-minute Cooper run test. There's a stair test you can do. Uh, I like using a 2K on the rower. Even if you're not a rower, it's going to get you within the ballpark. And there's normative data on VO2 max. So if you're in the bottom, like 20%, yeah, you probably want to work on that, even if you're just a lifter. If it's, you know, 50 to 75%, maybe, depends on, you know, where you're at and what we're trying to do. Uh, My cutoff is if you're 75th percentile, you're probably fine unless you're really trying to be a competitive rower or competitive endurance athlete. So that's worked pretty good because it's, I mean, I think the biggest mistake I made personally is probably six or seven years ago. I was like, eh, Maybe cardio interferes with, you know, trying to gain mass at all costs. And I was trying to get my body weight up to the highest I got to was 245. And I remember uh, I was working at a medical tech company at the time. This is actually early 2000s. And I remember walking walking into work one day, just coming from the parking lot, carrying a backpack in my cooler, and getting to the second story of just one flight of stairs. Like, so only two stories up. And, like, breathing super hard. Oh. I'm like... <laughs> This sucks. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even do anything. Yeah. And I looked at my training and I hadn't done any, you know, quote, formal cardio for probably like eight months. Yeah. And then I looked at my body weight to strength ratio and I was just getting fat. I wasn't really getting mm-hmm. progressively any stronger. It was kind of at that point. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been sleeping a lot lately. I kind of feel like total shit. Uh, so I, at that point, I decided I'm never going to let my cardio get that low before. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of a big turning point. And even during the lockdown, like I did another aerobic base for eight weeks where I just did a concentrated effort, moderate, and then some high intensity stuff. And yeah, that even made a big difference again, you know, because it's yeah. one of those sneaky things where it just it's such a slow degrade over time that it's unless you test or yeah. have a metric. It'll just go away, and you won't notice it till you wake up one day, and you're like, "Oh my god, I'm so out of shape." Yeah, been <laughs> yeah. there, man. Been there. I, yeah. I I was so paranoid about getting into a positive calorie balance because I've always been. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big person, you know. And at five nine, I tried to. Get, I got my body weight just under two thirty, and at that point, I'm just. I I don't know. I, I not only do I feel bloated and kind of fat you know phil knows this better than any of a force feeding sucks Mm -hmm. not hungry yep and but on top of it trying to further increase my positive energy balance by you know not doing cardio like at all you know i'd go to the gym and then i kept saying learn to be lazy just grow and i put on some Mm -hmm. muscle mass and i got pretty strong and all that kind of stuff but to your point mike i felt like crap yeah Um, Yeah. and so you got to have some kind of a base now don't get me wrong i think it's there's been a lot of discussion and kind of ripping on this like 75% of your max, like almost like a runner, you know, like competitive runner. Mm-hmm. Like what's your real goal with that one, bro? But yeah. even yeah. when I would walk mildly uphill on the treadmill, it was specifically as a fat specific calorie drain, but it wasn't mm-hmm. making me aerobically conditioned. I thought there'd be some transfer, not so much. 
yeah. <laughs> right? Because bodybuilding, mm-hmm. walking uphill. I mean, you're you're strolling uphill at a heart rate of like 120, maybe. Um, it's not intense enough to get a lot of cardiovascular enhancements. And so it, that didn't do much for me. So, I mean, if you have yeah. any kind of performance goals at all, like most of the people in Phil's gym, you can't let yourself get that detrained aerobically. And that's, yeah, we had one last week. So we've been doing, me and my training partner just did 16 weeks of pretty much nothing more than five reps. Um, mm. Last week we started sets of 10. And uh, one thing I noticed was right away, my sets of 10 were hard because of lactic acid buildup in my legs. Wow. 10. His sets of 10 were hard because of he couldn't breathe. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I don't I didn't mind that. Oh, yeah. I'm not used to, you know, my legs were on fire, but I wasn't breathing hard. So I'm like, this is OK. You know, I'll get, oh, used I get to it that quickly. Yeah. But I wasn't. And he was. <gasps> and I was like, oh, we need to start some cardio. Right. You know? <laughs> so because if you're doing tan and you're just huffing and puffing. Eh, OK. And I mean, yeah, there's always a give and a take. And there's no denying I am pure strength athlete. That's what I am. That's what I do. But if your cardio is so low that you can't do your workout, uh, as, even right. as a pure strength athlete, it's time to get some base in. And that can be simple, dragging sleds, going hiking, going just something to get the ability to endure. You know, Right. No, so, I hear you. Because you don't want your strength sessions to be limited by yes. cardiovascularly because then exactly. you're kind of changing them and making them more, for lack of a better word, aerobic kind of based where you can get that adaptation i think like you said in much more efficient ways so yes. when you go to lift it's more of a muscle limit or central nervous system yeah, or exactly. whatever that's a better you, you know in, in, in my for what we're trying to do that's a better limiter like yes. oh i gotta stop because my legs are just about to explode because they're so pumped yeah that's okay you know yeah. not not i have to my muscles aren't there yet but i can't breathe yeah then mm-hmm. oh, we're, not, we're not getting our job done you know you're your car serving your black, goals your lack of cardio is limiting your potential to get gains. You know, I, so. you guys, I am hearing some gold nuggets here. One is whether it's lactate burning or breathing, you know, like hyperventilating at fewer than 10 reps, you've got a problem, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Like both right. of those suggest either local tissue hypoxia kind of thing or, well, you have to be careful with that one, but lactate, or, you know, and acid buildup in your tissues or like literally cardiorespiratory, yeah. yeah. It, it, ten reps should not be high rep. If that's a yeah. that's a good rule of thumb, I think. If ten reps is high rep for you, you might not want to do you know go back to your th- sets of three to five uh, for for the next yeah. half a year. You're just gonna get exactly. worse. And, uh, I mean, I'm not saying it was lightweight. Like mine were at four eighty five for ten. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Heavy. Well, yeah. You know? But uh, but. I luckily I was like, okay, I'm not breathing hard, but that's a reason for me to, okay, I'm going to keep up my kettlebell swings and my hiking. I'm doing good. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to lack that again. And then on the other end of the spectrum, this has been, I don't know, 18 years ago. Now I was kind of at the, the other end and it was Lonnie talking to Lonnie that I was running numerous times a week, like eight times a week plus lifting. And I wasn't getting lean oh. and it was talking to Lonnie. It was like, you're running too much, bro. Don't want to throw on a vest and just walk. Mm-hmm. And once I did that, I started getting leaner and getting yeah. more muscular. I was just doing too much, you know, and that's back when my heart rate was like 41. And it was like, oh, okay, I'm, uh, I was doing so much cardio that I was fighting my own goal of getting jacked. Yep. You know, yep, totally. So. Uh, that's a more, that's a common beginner <laughs> mistake. I mean, when I stopped doing the Taekwondo and the jogging and, and 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 i put on yes. 20 pounds in like three months man Just, exactly you know and so i mean I, I literally got leaner i stopped running and i got leaner because mm-hmm. i was actually building muscle mm-hmm. i just wasn't able to mm-hmm. you know part of that is just the threshold too where you're kind of in that i've noticed if you're in the moderate zone and you just do too much there even splitting it out like lonnie was saying or you were doing like lower intensity hikes walks things like that and Maybe a few higher intensity sessions, but I think that moderate to you know sixty to seventy five percent of VO two max, where it's it's work, but it's not incredibly hard. People tend to do too much in that zone, and that makes it harder to recover from too. Yeah, and well, and I think it's also with what I was doing. If you're running a lot, your body just doesn't want to put on 
Yeah. It doesn't want to be heavier. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's the op- running a lot. It's your body's like, no, we pr- probably stay light. <laughs> you know, we don't want a bunch of extra muscle because that's hard to carry around. Yep. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Michelle, what about you? Um, done a lot of cardio in your life. <laughs> what's what's um, um, some lessons or yeah, mistakes? Yeah, so actually, yeah. No, so uh, so my cardio mistake, love the title, Mistakes Were Made, that's great, um, was actually before I became a fitness professional. So I was really fit as a kid. I was a, a swimmer and active and, you know, did lots of things. And then uh, I was a really late bloomer, though. So, like, I was a peanut when I graduated high school. I was, like, five. Four, I think, and I'm five nine now, and so that was really odd for me for my whole body to change. And then at the same time, I was pursuing uh, a dance degree. Uh, I was really late to the game with that, and that's a very specific. It was modern dance, so it's a very specific um, type of work as an athlete, right? You usually have really intense, you know, sprints of like thirty seconds or two minutes, and then you stop and you rest, right, in terms of your day. Well, I had put on weight where I'd never put on weight before because I was hitting puberty so late and body was changing and the college overeating and the whole thing, um, drinking for the first time. And uh, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll run, right? I'll try to lose this weight by running. And I would, you know, I'm taller, I've got more weight on me now, and I would try to run so fast like I would like try to like sprint for like you know 30 minutes and I could get to like 12 minutes or so and I was just dying and it wasn't my legs right it was my lungs and my heart and it didn't work right it wasn't helping at all and so then when I learned more about you know exercise and how things uh, really work and the science behind some things I of course made changes and were more effective and then Really, for me, I just fell in love with strength training um, for hundreds of reasons. Um, And I used that, actually, which was so much more effective for me in, you know, weight loss and maintaining things and having the physique that I wanted at the time. But now, you know, fast forward 20-some years, kind of what, you know, some of you guys were referencing, I'm very surprised to say I'm loving cardio, because I'm finding like the mental health benefits and the release when I'm done. So, you know, single working mom during COVID, I'll go, we've got this like lap near my house. I'm really fortunate. We've got this trail and I need to keep my kids with me, but try to find a way to get in cardio. And I'm not like, I don't love like a class in my living room, you know, on YouTube or whatever kind of type things as much. So I'll run while I put them on the bike and they have to keep making the laps while I'm running. <laughs> and I don't really, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of slow. I'm not going very fast. And I'll do the same thing with the bike at this, uh, like, arboretum near me um, where I'll just get on and I'll bike. And for me, it's more a t- window of time. And I'm sure, you know, one of you could very easily speak to the science of it. But where I'm like, no, I'm just going to do 30 minutes. No, I'm just going to do 40 minutes. No, I'm going to do an hour. Where I'm just going because it feels good. Yes, the first four minutes do not feel great. Like I'm a former modern dancer. Like there are aches and pains. I have, you know, labral tears. Like there's all kinds of things. But once I get going, Mm -hmm. it just feels so fantastic. And then when I'm done, I feel so, you know, fantastic. And I also agree with Phil on the, you know, taking care of the home and the, you know, I love like, trimming the hedges and mowing the lawn and raking and like I love that kind of stuff so I'm always doing that as well and it doesn't feel good if you're not somewhat fit you know Mm -hmm. Um, so I think my mistake was just not knowing enough and thinking that going too hard you know you know going hard and fast was going to fix the problem faster for me well I think you hit I think you hit one too it's turning especially when you're new, everybody turns all these activities into a goal instead yeah. of, I'm just going to go walk oh. and mm-hmm. enjoy it. Enjoy it. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> like my, hikes now. my hikes now are just, I'm going to go out and spend 45 minutes in the woods oh. and I'm going to enjoy it. And it's good in many ways, mentally and 100%. physically. 100%. You know? 
I ran into a guy, so I was on my trail. Again, I'm super spoiled with access to all these things. And it's on my trail, and this guy's bike, he was down, and his bike was down, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, is he okay, you know? And he was fine, you know, uh, retired army, and he was fixing his bike, you know? And we got to talking, and he kept, like, pushing me to get these different apps and things. And he didn't know my career or my job. He's like, no, no, but then it could tell you how far you went and how many calories you burned. <laughs> and I just looked at him. I was like, yeah, you're not understanding. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't. Yeah. I'm just doing this because it feels good and is good yep. for me. And it's really, it's really lovely to be in mm-hmm. that in that place. I think now. it's a yeah. it's a good lesson for a lot of lifters. I think like you know the fitness, the cardiovascular fitness can be actually a side effect of going yep. for a hike and I've really fallen into that too and I hear what you guys are saying a lot of our listeners are like you guys are old because you know it hurts to start doing something <laughs> and then once you do it it's just such a payoff you start loosening up getting warm and enjoying it or yeah. even if it's not for fitness like I still I got no problem with weighted walks or hiking and that kind of stuff um, mm-hmm. just for its own sake and then the fitness is a nice you know the cardiovascular base is a, a decent you know outgrowth of that even if it's not the main point kind of thing yeah i I like that a lot especially for lifters you know yeah and this is and this might be a good message for some of your lifters that are open to it you know and i know sometimes they bring the softer side of things to the table but um she's doing fabulously now but like my cousin who's definitely more like my sister you know it's it's hard for her you know not everyone in our lives is in fitness is in you know powerlifting is in you know the Mm -hmm. science of what we do but so it's really hard for some of those people when all people want to do socially is eating or sitting or drinking. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's really lovely that any of my friends or people in my life, like they know, Oh my God. Yeah. I need to, I need to go for a walk for an hour and a half and talk with, you know, catch up with Michelle instead of going to have an indulgent dinner, you know, somewhere Mm -hmm. or sitting that like, we can we can be that for people in our lives too, and um, kind of get both the mental and social, yeah. mental health and social benefits too, because it's lovely. At our advanced age, <laughs> <laughs> all of us are we're in all that the same, same age. age but speak for yourself, Phil. Yeah, I'm we're not. all in this that age group too. Where if you look back, like a big part of our social life as kids, as children, was literally like just being active. Yeah. You don't see that much anymore, but I like we played pickup basketball, football, baseball, dodgeball, and none of us ever thought about the fitness aspect mm-hmm. of it. We just went out and had fun. Nerf football. And it's good to bring that back into your life. Yes. You know, just go out, do something, and enjoy it for just what it is. Yeah. And you'll have many more benefits besides the physical aspect of it. Just go have fun and be active. Yeah. You know? hey, you know, especially yeah. once people get caught up in you get caught up in the physical culture and you start turning everything into a calorie burn and mm-hmm. that mentally just beats you up too. it's just just go. It's easy to say it. Just go walk and have fun. But then in the back of their mind, they're still thinking, oh, I need to pick up my pace. I need to. But no, just listen to the damn birds and walk. You know? yeah. 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 And that's really powerful coming from this panel so yeah. hopefully it so. yeah i saw that so much that even in the flex diet search shameless promotion but i differentiate Do between it, exercise versus recreation because yes. i saw a lot of especially fitness professionals who wanted to turn exactly what you guys said everything into exercise or exercise you have a point you have a goal you've got some metrics you're probably doing at least some measurements recreation the whole goal is just like Go have fun. Don't necessarily track anything. Don't get injured. Don't be an idiot. But just go have fun. Like, who cares about your heart rate or any of the other metrics? By definition, it's recreation. You're going to have fun, whether that's playing volleyball, in my case, kiteboarding, running. doesn't matter what it is. But I just saw people getting stressed out because they were turning recreation into more exercise on top of the exercise they were already doing. Or they had doubled down on exercise and don't do any recreation, like, mm-hmm. at all. Which, that scares me, too, because it's super easy to get kind of burned yeah. out. And I think you're missing yeah. a lot of just movement and neat and low-level mm-hmm. exercise. 
and even just from a you know cerebellum brain development that'll transfer into better concentration like go learn a new sport like even get on a friggin balance beam if you want to practice yeah. balance like no yeah. it's not going to make you super strong but it's going to have some inherent benefits as you just being a human being well yeah. and just having fun yeah have it yeah. like i met it's hard to find right now yeah I, I will met what i call is a brilliant high school football coach that quit having his kids do sprints and conditioning and things like that for football what they do <clears throat> they would practice the game and then instead of doing conditioning and sprinting he would have them play dodgeball or have them play ultimate yes. frisbee or have them and what they did oh my they they did it Got much it. harder because yep. they were having fun it was like yeah. you got the kids having fun, and what they do, they push themselves. You know, yeah. they're all doing all-out sprints and running and blah 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 because they don't see it as work. They were, hey, this is our fun time. So what they do, they freaking ran their asses off, you know, yeah. and enjoyed yeah. it. <clears throat> yeah. Some of the best dancers I knew when I was um, dancing professionally did and this. You know, this is you know, fifteen twenty years ago, they were. Uh, like cross training before we were, you know, calling it that in that perfect, like they were taking martial arts, they were taking, you know, Dozen, they were doing things that they just loved, because it helped them, you know, enjoy and experience their bodies differently. And I think that's really beautiful. One suggestion I make to all my, you know, fitness business owners and trainers is they have an assignment to exercise as a passenger. Because in line with that is that, you know, when we exercise, we're bringing all that we know to the table. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's really wonderful to just show up and just be the passenger. Let somebody lead, somebody else lead, you know, the workout, which is what we're saying indirectly and just, you know, going for the hike or chopping wood or mowing the lawn or what have you. But also to just take yourself out of that role of having to do it perfectly and just experience somebody else leading you through you know yeah. like a physical or fun or different or new activity i think all of this is just so useful for everybody right now i think that's it's good great. advice for we have a lot of listeners of course that are pretty advanced trainers or coaches themselves yeah. right and yeah it, you're right i mean and i know we've actually talked about that before just being able to it's a, actually a relief to let someone else do the the coaching mm-hmm. a little bit whether it's diet yeah. or exercise yeah. or whatever it is and so you're right because you fall into it we've all got our certain ingrained opinions and yeah it's just the relief yep. of letting somebody else i think a lot of what we're saying here is especially good for off-season stuff you know like mm-hmm. how different it is than my obsessive two fingers on my carotid artery counting you know getting my pulse rate for mm-hmm. exactly 45 and then 55 mm-hmm. and then 65 minutes week after week and now if you're going to get ready for a contest, you have to be meticulous. That, that's yes. in season. That's a little different, right? Um, but if you're not literally in like a 20-week countdown towards something, yeah, I, I mean, the more I talk to physical therapists, the more I realize so many of their modalities and exercise and stuff they do, it's just sort of simple functioning, you know, balance on one foot, hop on one foot. It, you're getting these different neurological motor patterns yes. and maybe little assister muscles or whatever it is, just, you know... It, it, it just seems much more holistic and, and beneficial overall than just that foot over foot on a 4% treadmill for the next hour, damn it. You know, mm-hmm. which... Do you know what it makes me think of? Eating the orange instead of consuming, a you know, like a processed juice of an orange. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you know how there are different fruits and vegetables that... Yes, they have this certain aspect that's so fabulous for us, but it really only works when you eat the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> we can extract it all we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're getting some benefit. Mike, please jump in and tell me if I'm mutilating the <laughs> science. But, um, but yeah. And also, you know what I was thinking too, uh, Lonnie, when you were describing that? How much we laugh. Or smile yeah. when we're just yeah. talking with a friend on the hike or, mm-hmm. you know, the satisfaction of, like, that one swing and chopping the wood just, whoop, like, lopped it, <laughs> yep. you know, yep. Yep. right? And, ha- like, we, yeah, there's some of that with more formal exercise with specific goals, but, gosh, it's just, it's just fun sometimes to mm-hmm. 
play. Yep. Right. My last comment on learning a new skill, it's good to remember what it's like to suck at something too. <laughs> yeah. Because I think especially yeah. if you've been doing fitness so long and you're teaching new people, it's easy. And I know I've done this in the past and try not to fall into this trap now. Why can't they just squat? Why can't they just, why? well, they have never done it before. It's their first rep. And if you've done things you're always really good at, it's easy to forget what it was like to suck at something. Mm-hmm. And then you go try something new and get your ass handed to you. You're like, oh, yeah. Oh, learning. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, Mike, I've heard Buddhists call that the beginner's mind, right? Like yep. that eager discovery phase. Like, yeah. And that's what the fun thing you could do, I think, with a lot of cardio is do something that's novel. And that's got to be great for, you know, like neurocognitive development kinds of things, you know, like they talk about older people to prevent dementia and cognitive decline, learn something new, you know, practice something new. And that beginner's mind, I think is, is something we, especially like the veterans that listen to this might forget. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. The other element to that, Mike, that you bring up that I've talked with my business owners about too, is then it can expose you to other you know, people in your community or businesses in your community or, you know, practitioners in your community Definitely. that could be things for your clients to enjoy, right? Like I remember, you know, I went for a stand-up pedalboard lesson by myself on Lake Michigan, you know, when nice. I was training clients and then, oh yeah, that's right. You're kiteboarding. You'd love that. Um, and so then I, you know, I told, I got a great shot of me falling off the board and, you know, so I told all my clients, go, like, go, this was so fun so different enjoy it you know and was it their heart rate at 75 percent elevated for 35 minutes as part like no right. but who cares like yes right it built and it builds that community and you know for those of you that are big on social media it could be that you know that whole handle hashtag sharing you know uh kind of type uh fostering of connection there too but that's a really beautiful component and something we really need um, right now with small business owners taking such hits and our clients being really starved for, you know, new, great, fun, healthy things to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me, um, yeah. D- let me summarize some of what we're saying. I think as we kind of wind this down, I think yeah. off season, uh, find something you enjoy, you know, and mm-hmm. try to, without being mat- too meticulous, find that sweet spot of it, like frequency, you know, times during the week and intensity, you know, for me, it, it sounds like, similar to Phil in a way is hiking fits that bill really nice. You know, you mm-hmm. can, there's up yeah. and down on the intensity meter. I'm not really calculating much, but I just go do that kind of stuff. I think in season or with more formal stuff, we also hit on some things too. Like if you're having major like acidity buildup in muscles and from single repetition sets, or you're so winded mm-hmm. and gassed and panting that you can't do 10 reps or like if you're maybe monitor your rate of perceived exertion, you know, something that used to be a six on a 10 scale is now a nine, right? Because mm-hmm. you're so gassed. Monitoring some of those things on the in-season side of thing, the more formal fitness are, are nice little um, uh, things as well. Um, mm-hmm. Mike, you monitor freaking everything. Can you think of something yeah. else? Uh, I guess <laughs> HRV maybe, but. Yeah, I'd like using HRV just to kind of see what the cost of things were. Um, sometimes you'll see HRV the next day go down a little bit if somebody's learning a new skill. And again, that's not bad. It just means it's a little bit more stressful. Usually it'll recover after that. And like what Phil was saying, you can get fancy. I mean, I have a full uh, Moxie setup. It's a little sensor. What uses is called NEARS technology that will tell you the local muscle oxygen use. So I can put that on like your right quad, left quad, left deltoid, and then put a metabolic cart on you also. So we're measuring airflow in and out, and that'll give me an idea of systemic load and then also local load. So if I see someone can't really desaturate well at the muscle, right, they can't really bring that oxygen use down to a low level, but I see their breathing rate and their you know, RER go super high, Right, that's probably going to be more of a respiratory limitation. If those numbers stay, you know, within reason, they're not hyperventilating, and we can see the SATs on the quad drop down, then they're probably doing more of the muscle work per se, and they're not necessarily more respiratory limited. So you can get super fancy, and 
use technology to monitor that. I don't think most people need to go that far, but if you want to go super far down the rabbit hole and quantify it, that would be one method of looking at it. Yeah, local versus systemic is is a cool, you know, it's yeah. like XFIS 101, but the, what you're saying there is the cool thing that you can actually monitor that. You can actually measure that if you work with somebody. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and if you get fancy, like I have a Moxie sensor I can import to my Garmin watch. So I played around with this a little bit of just doing sessions of squats until my desaturation went pretty low, and then let's say to maybe 10%, and then wait till it comes back up to the top, say 80%, and once it hits 80%, then I do my next set. All right, The theory being I'm trying to drive that local oxygen level down by doing the set, and then once that's recovered, then it's time to go again. The same idea you would apply to cardiovascular training with heart rate. You're just using a different metric to make it more muscle-specific in this case. Yeah, right on. All right. I think we touched on a lot of that stuff, a little bit of personal stories or what we've seen from other people. Hopefully that will yep. you know, guide people not to make some of the same mistakes. I mean, I've, I've done some bonehead things <laughs> myself, right, big time. So um, maybe we can prevent that. All right, that's going to be it for go. today. So we'll I'll see you next week, everybody. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. See you. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yep. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.